Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 262 of the Found Medicine Rocks podcast for Thursday, June 7, 2012. On tonight's show, coming up in just a little bit, uh, is uh, Dr. Conrad Flick, uh, family physician and AFP board member, uh, board member of the American Academy of Family Physicians. He'll be uh, joining me live uh, from North Carolina just in a few minutes to uh, discuss his recent essay on transforming office-based medical care. What does that mean? We'll be talking about that. And also the uh, patient-centered medical home. We'll also may be talking a little bit about social media and family medicine, all that and a lot more coming up on episode 262 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. And as always... <laughs> I will continue milking this for the rest of the year, as I've said on this uh, show before. Uh, here's the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians. This is Dr. Glenn Street. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, uh, at AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z, I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000, um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has nearly 7,000 uh, members. Media. This is the Found Medicine Rocks podcast on a Thursday night here on the Block Talk Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Mike Sevilla, the anchor man for Family Medicine. Don't know what that means. And also one of the 10 physicians you should be following on Twitter. I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, this show is by a family physician for the growing family medicine community, of which you are now a part of by listening to this show. So welcome. Now, I invite you to check out my digital library of stuff at familymedicinerocks.com. Uh, shout out to all the people following me on Twitter, all 9,325 people 
Thank you so much for that. A lot of them in the uh, past few days. Also, shout out to all 408 people uh, who like the Facebook page for this show. Thank you so much for that. Today is Thursday, uh, June 7, 2012. It is 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and temperature here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters is still 76 degrees Fahrenheit. And how's your week been going there, uh, kids? It's been uh, good weather here in the uh, northeastern Ohio area. And uh, just want to uh, thank everybody for your support of this show, and especially for last week's show with uh, Dr. Reed Blackwelder, uh, making that show one of the most popular shows last week on the Block Talk Radio Network in the um, health uh, category. So thank you so much for that. Um, and I'll be introducing our guests in a little bit, but I do want to give uh, uh, <clears throat> a shout-out to our uh, a show next week with Dr. Laura Noble uh, that will be live right here on the Block Talk Radio Network on Tuesday, June 12, at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. We'll be discussing her recent essay in the uh, AAFP Leader Voices blog. And that's right. Yes, uh, you know, this week, just yesterday, um, I was recognized on uh, healthcareitnews.com as one of 10 physicians that you should be following on Twitter. That's right, kids. And uh, I want to thank uh, Michelle McNichol, the web content producer for Health IT News, for uh, uh, for adding me to the list. There, you can, there's more information on, on AffiliateMedicineRocks.com. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to. I just didn't, I don't want to beat my own chest and say, "Hey, look at me." You know, I bring this up because because kids, I need your help as family talks. You've heard the show before. That family medicine needs to be at the table, needs to be part of the conversation out there. So I need my family medicine colleagues to join me and be a part of the social media conversation. As you can see on that top ten list there, I'm the only family doc there, and I, I hope not to be the only one as these lists continue. Uh, so I encourage all my friends out there, especially listening to this show right now, to uh, join me in the uh, uh, family medicine revolution, the uh, social media revolution. So uh, it's going to be very exciting. But uh, thanks again uh, to Health IT News uh, for including me in their article. Uh, so coming up in uh, just a, a couple of minutes here, he's on hold, and I, I can tell he's getting ready. He's, uh, he's in his pregame warm-ups uh, getting ready for the show here. So we're very excited to, uh, to introduce uh, Conrad Flick, MD. And you can follow him on Twitter. He's on Twitter. Can you believe that, kids? He's on Twitter. We'll make, we're going to get into that. He is uh, C.L. Flick, F-L-I-C-K-M-D on Twitter, so give him a follow there. Um, and he works in a, a private practice uh, at Family Medical Associates of Raleigh, North Carolina, for which he owns uh, with uh, two other physicians. And this uh, biography I'm pulling from AAFP.org. And he also serves as an associate professor and community preceptor in the uh, Department of Community and Family Medicine at Duke University and a community preceptor to medical students at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. Uh, he is also serving as a governor-appointed board member of the North Carolina Health Quality Alliance and recently served as chairman of the Department of Medicine at Duke Rally Hospital. Dr. Flick earned his undergraduate degree in zoology, which I'll probably ask him during this show, from uh, North Carolina State University in Raleigh and his medical degree at Duke University School of Medicine. He then completed his residency at North Carolina Baptist Hospital Family Medicine Residency in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We're going to be uh, talking about his essay coming up in a few minutes here, entitled uh, Working with Others to a Key to Successfully Transforming Our Practices. That's just from the AAFP Leader Voices blog, and you can access that at aafp.org. Uh, so he's going to be coming up right after uh, this. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for having me be a featured host here on this very network. Thank you so much for that. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I'm a real doctor myself, too. Can you believe that? I'm a family physician in full-time private practice here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. So I think I have all that stuff out of the way now. So uh, after this break, we'll be uh, Dr. Conrad Fleck. You'll be uh, you're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. Just Google FM Revolution uh, for more information. 
Um, and also a member of the uh, ProMed Network uh, podcast. You can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com. Dr. Conrad Flick will be here on this show right after this. We're at the show that is the unstoppable force of family medicine. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast live on a Thursday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And live on the line with me right now is my good friend, uh, Dr. Conrad Flick. Uh, Conrad, welcome to the show there, my friend. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's even better that I didn't know you were the king of social media, so it's even more impressive for me to be involved with you, Mike. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I want to thank you for taking the time. I know, like, uh, you're in a, just a, in a full day of office hours, so I appreciate you uh, taking the time here uh, this evening. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's tough trying to balance it all. I know we'll get into that in a little bit, but, uh, but thanks again for taking the time here tonight. Well, you're very welcome. We're looking forward to it for a while now. Um, so as we kind of start out, we'll, we'll get in, into your uh, into your essay here in a little bit. But uh, something that I hear from uh, all my listeners and everybody who listens to my website, you know, uh, social media and family medicine is is about uh, uh, telling stories and things. So uh, uh, as we start out the show, I want to tell your family medicine story here, kind of what drew you to medicine and medical school and, and family medicine and and uh, and and, uh, and your story. So uh, so go ahead there, Conrad. All right, thanks. Like, you know, it's, uh, family medicine is all about stories. We listen to stories all day. We get to tell stories about the people we talk to and take care of every day. So uh, that's the fun part of what we do. Uh, my my uh, story is not uh, that unusual from a lot of other people. I grew up in a household. My father's a minister, and my father's mother was also in Christian education, and I'm the youngest of four children. And one of the things that my folks instilled in me over the years was the importance of giving back to your community. Didn't really care what you grew up to be. Had expectations that uh, when you grew up and got a job, uh, became a professional, that you would give back to the community and provide services that would uh, you know, help to lift that community up and, and spread that out, the word out to other people. So I was the, uh, the last um, of the children, and I had a brother who was a lawyer, a sister who was a social worker ahead of me, and a sister who was a nurse. And I went to medical school. I actually went to undergraduate thinking more along the lines of engineering. I always loved uh, being involved with people and interested by health care uh, through the you know TV shows and those things we grew up with during the time. I did not have a role model as a, a young child uh, of a physician uh, in the family or elsewise. I did not have any uh, terrible sickness in my family to, to draw me to what the, you know, the vast wonders of medicine. But as I got into med, uh, under college and started looking at the classes that I took and uh, interacting with others who were interested in going to medicine, uh, I more and more gravitated towards that. I did uh, the usual. I worked in a hospital as an orderly all through college and got more and more experience and uh, found that's what I wanted to do. So I kind of uh, did not have any idea what kind of doctor I wanted to be going into medical school, but I certainly knew that I wanted to uh, be involved in something that the you know the interest of medicine, the, the science behind it, uh, always learning things new, always getting to interact with people uh, and, and colleagues and other uh, others in a professional nature that would give back to me both intellectually, socially, and on every other level. So that's kind of how I just. Uh, for me, it was not a, an epiphany moment like many others. It was just kind of a natural progression. That the, this seems interesting. I'm, let's investigate it and investigate a little bit more. And you know, lo and behold, you're uh, sitting there in the, your first day of medical school class. <laughs> now, I'm kind of curious about your undergraduate degree in, in zoology. What, what kind of classes were you know, were they? I mean, I, I'm just kind of curious about that. 
it, it's just where you you know where we went. And, and North Carolina State is a uh, land grant institution, uh, really geared more on agricultural stuff. So uh, we have the only vet school in the state, and we also, as a result, all of the kind of curricular courses that were basic science were all lopped into zoology. So uh, biology and uh, all those courses. Uh, physics and chemistry all went through the uh, end of that curriculum. And so the pre-med curriculum at NC State at that time was zoology. So if you were a pre-med curriculum, you were you were graduating in zoology. And it, now it's changed. It's now the curriculum's now called human biology, which makes a lot more sense than zoology. I've not ever had any interest in taking care of animals, but went through college with a lot of friends. I've got several friends who are uh, veterinarians today, and so uh, we did get to meet other people in, in the health professions of animals and humans alike. Uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, so starting off your, your medical school uh, career, uh, um, kind of guide me through that as far as, you know, what was it during your third year? Um, you mentioned, you know, you didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, mentors as far as going to medical school in the first place, but uh, as you got into medical school and the curriculum and as you're doing your clerkships and rotations, uh, what, what kind of influenced you to choose family medicine as your specialty? Well, Duke University's curriculum is a little different than most other medical schools. Now, for those people who aren't aware, it uh, we do basic science in one year instead of two. So you go in uh, very intense, go through the entire uh, first year of doing all, sitting in a classroom, taking a test, doing what everybody else does, um, anatomy, physiology. And then their second year, our second year is spent doing the, the core clinical rotations, pediatrics, OBGYN, surgery, psychiatry. Um, then at, at Duke, the third year is spent in a research year. Uh, the, that year gives you time to, their philosophy was you won't know uh, if you want to be a researcher and, and learn the newest, greatest uh, you know, medical breakthrough if you don't have some exposure to it, which uh, has some credit, I must admit, after all these years. But it also allows you to sit back and think about what you want to be as opposed to the traditional medical schools, two years of basic science, you do your core rotations, and then you, before you even finish your core rotations, you're supposed to put together your fourth year of electives uh, generally in what you want to go into. Uh, and if you were unlucky enough to have the, you think you want to be a pediatrician and that's your last rotation, and then you decide, this is really not what I wanted to do, uh, you may not end up in the right place, and you might have to do, you know, look, step back and, and change your schedule a little bit. But for me, uh, I love procedural. What I knew about, I loved interaction with patients, um, and I loved procedures. So I actually spent my year uh, research at Duke University in a cardiothoracic surgery lab, thinking wow. I wanted to be a general. Thinking huh. I wanted to be a general. So I did. I spent a year doing uh, operations on dogs and pigs, uh, with uh, looking at uh, some uh, heart assist devices as well as cardioplegic agents. If you remember back to our training and what cardioplegic agents are, um, but that's where I spent a year. Well. It took me, Mike, about, oh, two months of uh, standing over animals doing surgery <laughs> to realize what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. That uh, While I enjoyed the procedural aspect of it, and like many family docs, I believe, a little, probably a little bit of ADD, um, staying focused on that for that long, uh, it, you know, it, its interest waned over time. So uh, during my... During that third year, I actually uh, got involved with the family medicine department at Duke University, and a couple of mentors who actually were father and son at the time um, got me involved, and I actually applied for and got a, a research grant from the National uh, Council on Aging. Wow. My father was a my father, I said, was a minister to begin with, but when he moved back to North Carolina. Um, I, he took a job in nursing homes, and his interest was in long-term care uh, of our older population in both skilled and intermediate cares, but also retirement communities and, and, and step-downs and those kind of things. So I had, through my father, some interest in that, and so I, that was a time, and I, I was interested in one of the reasons I like the elderly population, much like the adolescent, are the ethical 
decisions that have to go into both of those populations, the end of life and, and making decisions about the drugs and alcohol and those things. So while they're on different spectrums, there's a lot of that ethical. So that's what drew me to that. And I did a research project on end-of-life decisions in North Carolina's nursing home population uh, at a time before they were required to ask everybody and have all that on their chart when they came in. So right, right. Fair amount of time, and I got to present in New Orleans uh, at the end of my third year. Uh, but during that, I, I got to know uh, probably uh, three people. Two, two were um, family docs, uh, a gentleman by the name of George Parkerson Sr. and his son, George Parkerson Jr., uh, and had been part of the family medicine uh, program for years. Um, and uh, they kind of helped me through this, uh, kind of guided me, and, and I spent time seeing patients during that third year in the family medicine and the, the tutelage of, of one or both of them at the time. Uh, there was another gentleman by the name of uh, Harvey Estes, who's actually an internist, who worked with the family medicine department there and had been very instrumental uh, in helping the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Duke for a number of years. And then the other gentleman was a, is an internist, Jerry Trishan, who at that time helped was my mentor on the uh, project itself, uh, a gentleman by the name of Rob Sullivan. So those are people that said, you know, yeah, it's fun doing this and it's challenging and there are all kinds of things and opportunities for you. And knew that I was uh, unhappy with the others. So it was kind of a natural feed-in. And what I realized from you know my background with my father is, it, is they always say it's all about the relationships. And what I knew is I needed to, to go into a field where I didn't just take care of a problem and then the patient went away until they needed me to fix another problem, but that I developed a relationship. And it wasn't I'm, I'm not taking care of a patient's problem. I'm taking care of the patient who happens to have other things that come along with that. So that's kind of my progression into this. Um, and then as I got into it and as you as a result, Duke University doesn't put too many people into family medicine every year. Right. My my year, we had uh, a total of six, which I think is almost twice what they've ever put in before. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened. Apparently, there was some snafu in the admissions process my year uh, going in. Um, but uh, it, as a result, it came out. And then probably going into my residency was where I met a couple other mentors, like many of us, who really kind of solidified uh, this is the right step. These are the kind of people I want to be like. And um, for me, it was uh, two people there, a gentleman by the name of Dave Jackson, who was the program director when I went over. First guy I ever met, um, because even at the family medicine department at Duke as an undergrad, most of that what I saw was outpatient and a little bit of hospital stuff. There really wasn't the understanding of delivering babies and doing home visits and, you know, uh, all of the procedures that you can do from uh, vasectomies to colonoscopies to everything else. And when I went to residency, uh, two military trained, Dave Jackson was a program director who uh, showed me all that. And well, the reason I probably went to Wake Forest uh, in Winston-Salem and then another gentleman by the name of Chip Celestino, uh, who is also a very good friend of one of our ex-presidents of the Academy, Ted Epperly. So. Wow. Yeah, that's, I, I love hearing it, you know, people tell their stories as far as how how they found medical school or how they found family medicine. And uh, you know, there's a lot of common themes, that, as you pointed out already, Conrad. I mean, you know, a lot, you know one of them is, is relationships, relationships with, with colleagues, with classmates, and eventually using those skills to, uh, you know, uh, develop uh, relationships with, with patients and with the community, which we'll get into uh, um, in a little bit here. Um, uh, let's see. Um, so on the line with us, we have uh, Dr. Conrad Fleck. He is a uh, family physician, um, a member of the uh, um, AEFP Board of Directors. He's from the uh, Family Medicine uh, Family Medical Association, uh, Associates of Raleigh. And uh, as we kind of bridge uh, to talking about your essay here, um, why don't we kind of uh, set the stage again for the for the listeners here? Uh, why don't we just talk a little bit about your practice specifically? Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, as far as you know, um, what type of services do you provide? Where are you located at? And, and kind of kind of set the stage for us before we kind of talk about how um, you know the the practice transformed to where it was to kind of where it is. So. Uh, my, you know, every you get to where you are by a number of 
small steps to get you there. Some of them are your choice and some of them are other people's choices. Um, I came out of residency and took a job uh, in in the same county I'm in, but in the northern part of our county, which at the time was uh, considered uh, an underserved rural area. And I joined uh, two other uh, gentlemen, uh, very good docs who I'm still very good friends with. But um, that my first job out and uh, on call every third night, every third weekend, night clinics, Saturday morning clinics, three hospitals. Uh, wow. And uh, a wife who was working, and uh, after the first year, a second child on the way, uh, and I'm going, you know, this is really a little more uh, than I probably uh, want, and also a little bit more isolated than, than for me. While I love the small town and, and the support that they gave you, you, anybody who's in a small town also know those people know all of your business. Exactly. Uh, not, not, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about there, Conrad. <laughs> but uh, you, they do. Uh, and so, anyway, when we did that, I talked to one of my partners there, and he said, well, um, I I understand that and I, I support you. He's actually the gentleman who got me involved in the academy on a state level. So uh, a great friend of mine, George Moore, uh, who got me involved, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for George getting me involved on a state level at this same time that I'm talking to him about, you know, this, I need to look for something else. So he said, we're a loose affiliation of practices around the county. Uh, rather than leaving the county or the area, why don't you join this other practice that is recently expanded and has room to take you? So for six months, I worked at, at both places and a uh, very, very collegial atmosphere in both. Uh, and then I joined the one that was really uh, a seven-man practice right across from the hospital, uh, a lot more access to things, a lot more convenient. And uh, two months after I did that, they, sold, unbeknownst to me, sold themselves to the local hospital. So we wow. became no longer an independent practice but an own practice. And when we did, uh, like many, the administrator at that time was very friendly to primary care, understood what we gave to the system, uh, and wanted us to help build uh, a system that would be good. All sounded good in theory. Well, about six months after that, he retired, and the hospital brought in a new uh, CEO whose philosophy was that uh, doctors are really interchangeable parts and huh. uh, treated treated us all like interchangeable parts. So I ended up my five years there, and uh, as a outspoken, much like you, Mike, and much like many of the other people on the board and, and who are involved, uh, an outspoken um, supporter of primary care and family medicine specifically, um, and, and that wasn't always taken uh, as well as well as I would have liked it. Um, <laughs> yeah. so my, my five years were up, and uh, we had a conversation, and uh, it was decided that it was probably not in the best interest of either one of us to continue a relationship. So seven years into my medical career, I'm now really looking for another job. Well, through my contacts and people I knew, uh, this current group that I'm with had also just bought a new building and, and were looking to bring people in. And so I talked to them, and, and what I had gained through all of my, through my seven years, as much as you can get in seven years of experience, was that I like the business of medicine. I understand most of it. Uh, and when I talked to the, these two people, one was a Kaiser doc and the other was a uh, great family doc who had bought his practice from a, a gentleman years ago, but also didn't really understand the business. And my father told me long ago that take a job for what you have to offer the job, not what the job has to offer you. And far too often we've seen people take jobs because it's got great vacation or it's got great benefits, but not because they can take and move that job or that position to a higher level. So I came in knowing that I, one, I knew I need to be in charge. That's also, you know, one of the things that most people know about uh, people in our positions, Mike. But the other was that I could help them move up. So I came in, really became uh, somewhat the managing partner day one. Uh, and being the fourth position in, it's hard to be managing partner any time. But I did that, and, and it's been a really great relationship. They've supported me. They know I've been involved in the academy and wanted to be involved the whole time. And uh, we've grown. So at that time, we were four positions and a PA. Uh, we lost one of our positions. We we uh, teetered back and forth for a while, and the number of providers lost either. We, we had, unfortunately, 
of the family doctor, great young lady who we hired from Annapolis who ended up getting uh, coming a week after she came to us diagnosed with metastatic uh, ovarian cancer wow. and unfortunately wow. and so uh, we had to backtrack and kind of reorganize but so we've grown since that time we went from uh, 6,000 square feet uh, we now are in 12,000 square feet and we are now um, five physicians, uh, two nurse practitioners and a, and a PA as far as providers and uh, that's uh, where we've been for that's where I've been for the last 13 years, and uh, at least for the next 13, as far as I can tell. Uh, now the essay that you wrote is a fascinating essay, and, I, and, and now that I have all that background in my mind, I, I can I can see the passion of where where this essay came from. Uh, for people who haven't checked it out, go to afp.org. It's from their Leader Voices blog. That the the title is uh, Working with Others: uh, Key to Successfully transforming our practices it is from wednesday may 16 uh 2012 um so as we kind of start this part of the conversation conrad i mean it's i guess it's kind of uh, you know um described to me kind of uh you know how you know this and, and i guess was we'll kind of bridge into a little bit of of uh, the patient center medical home model um but you know, for, for for docs out there, you know, you know, like me, you know, in practices, you know, and and you know, trying to make the case for changes and things, and and uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about you know, that in your first two paragraphs here, you you, you kind of um, describe you know that part of the changes here was was responding to um, you know some of the needs in the community and some of the passions that some of the the docs in your practice. So just kind of I guess start out this part of the conversation as far as you know how how you guys you know uh, uh, came to um, you know to to decide on hey we want to change this part of our practice or is 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 change something that is constant um, in the conversation uh, where you work and, and, and with the practice. Well, you flipped out of me there just a minute, so I'll try to to catch up. But uh, you know I think the one thing for family docs across the country tend to morph into what their communities need, and that's not that that's certainly much truer in rural settings than in urban settings uh, has been my experience. But even in an urban setting, you, as you look at your patient population, you try to figure out what it is they need and what you can do to better serve that. Uh, I've had the good fortune of, again, having uh, a team that we put together early on that shared that philosophy. And so what we've done is, so the first thing probably was looking at um, our population getting older in an area and and increasingly uh, sicker, more chronic disease, and particularly diabetes in our community, and what we were going to do with that. Um, So when we saw that, and we were having a harder time uh, managing them, we didn't have uh, all the resources that we wanted to do that, and we saw a need for a couple things, we did two things. One is we sent our nurse practitioner who really loves chronic disease, we had a discussion with her, and we sent her uh, to the university to course to be a diabetic educator. Um, so okay. we said, you know, we as physicians may not be able to, to take time to spend an hour with a patient, but we can certainly allow our nurse practitioner to spend an hour with that patient. And as long as it's, you know, what we decided is, as long as things like that were a break even for us as a business um, and provided good service uh, and value to our patients, it was worth doing. So that was the first step. And then went along with that is we then looked at hiring a part-time dietitian to help with that, who would understand what was needed and could sit down with those people, and then morphed into, well, what else do they need? Well, sometimes they need group informal classes. So uh, now twice a year we meet, we have a month-long series of diabetic education that we do on a Saturday morning in our office, and usually has anywhere between 20 and 40 of our own patients, sometimes people from outside, who come in, and we have uh, one on comorbid diseases, we have one on the the reasons that we control diabetes, we have one on the the importance of exercise and nutrition, and so these are the things that that we've done as far as that. we, in, in other areas, it came out. So you look at things like that as where are we going to go and what's the next thing that we think we need or we want or we see a need for. Um, the next one was when it came to this, my, and I 
in the second paragraph, you talk about having passion about it. I think when you're looking at moving into a different direction, somebody has to take ownership of that direction. Somebody has to have enough passion that they are going to be the go-to person for that. So for me, I'm the go-to person when it comes to the business decisions, when it comes to uh, let's do this renovation, let's make this space work, let's have this contract with whoever and sit down and work it out. That's that's what I like. Uh, That's the role that I play in my practice. So the diabetes one was is a group we said this, and then we had a nurse practitioner who had the passion to be the go-to person to make it happen. So we we handed off to her with, with our blessing and with our oversight um, and our support. Then my uh, other partner um, it, it got involved as this went forth in the movement towards uh, medical weight loss. Seeing so many people out there who are going to clinics and, and getting – pills and what he saw is not very good advice about how to lose weight and how to manage that weight. Um, And so he had an interest in doing that. And so we looked, investigated, uh, and he went and uh, got his uh, bariatric certification uh, and now runs a medical weight loss clinic. Along with that, we were then able to take that dietitian that we already had in place for our diabetes uh, part-time and, and encourage her to work a little bit more and now work on part of that. Um, that as a business um, has been a cash-only business at this point in time. We're just getting ready to open it up to private insurance. Um, and that was, a, uh, we said, again, he loves it. He is committed to doing it. He's willing to take put the effort in and make it work. Uh, we hired uh, the one of the PAs that we hired had a specific interest in this because she had herself personally lost a lot of weight on a medically supervised weight loss program, and so she was selling what she believed in. She was doing what she had done, so that helped out, and, and that's been very successful and has grown, and as a result, as it's grown, we have then moved into we need a little more space for that, so we did it. Then probably the last big example of this is we uh, hired a, a young physician who had been working for one of the hospital systems here and was unhappy, and we had her away from them, and she had an interest in doing not as, again, this, like the weight loss, he does that uh, about three half days a week. The PA does three half days a week, and then they split Saturday, so it's Part of what they do it is not all they do. They are family docs first and firmly, family provider care providers first and foremost, and the weight loss is what they do on the side. My other one, she wants to do some cosmetic stuff, um, dermabrasion, fillers, Botox, uh, and even looking into uh, laser and, and the rest. So when she got what we said is if you come in and things work out and you're interested in that, we'll look at it because you're passionate about it, because you're committed to it. Well, she came. She's been with us now almost four years. So about a year ago, we moved into doing, uh, we now have the the weight loss and and the cosmetic stuff now comes under our Family Health and Wellness Center. Um, And as we've done that, uh, we have one of the new nurse practitioners we hired has some background in that. And so we looked for people to fill. We needed a nurse practitioner more to see patients, but we also wanted somebody who had an interest in that, and she had a back. So now we have filled the puzzle pieces on both sides that we can provide that care to people who want it, and we can look at other things. We've also, as we got more space, able to even uh, use a part-time um, exercise um, athletic trainer uh, and looking at all the other aspects that go along with that. And so it, I think it's key. You have to have an interest in what to do, you and it has to fit a need for your community, but you always have to have somebody who is willing to be the point person uh, and willing to make it happen. Because well, I I know that um, um, you know, I mean, and you hear a lot a lot of this too as well, Conrad. It's just you know, when I talk to docs, you know, they're you know a lot of them, and, and you know, our our group is you know, kind of part of that part of that uh, uh, point of view. Is that I mean, it's. I mean, how, how, I mean, how do you do it? I mean, it's just it, it, uh, a lot of docs say, you know, we're 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 tr- we're just trying to survive here. We're trying to, you know, uh, just trying to, to to do, you know, what we can in this traditional model, and and it's going to be a big leap for us 
to make any kind of you know changes and and it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of personnel and, and a lot of shuffling around and and we don't know if 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 we have the will to do it or or if we want to do it. Did, did, what advice do you have to docs and say you know it's 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 looking like it's too difficult for us to even make any kind of changes. Well, I think that 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 is a difficult thing, and I told as I talked about this early on, and actually, I think it's the most difficult for a solo doc to decide what you're going to do. And to commit resources to what we need, um, and trying to figure out that you've got to learn the business and. and People don't really like to change, and one of my discussions about change is that we, when you go into medicine and since you keep up with hypertension, you keep up with diabetes, you don't just come out of residency and go, I'm never learning anything different. Well, the business of medicine is the same as the practice of medicine, and that is things change, and insurance companies have different regulations, and the evidence changes, and, and uh, what even your mortgages change and, and banking changes and all those other things. And if you don't stay up on top of the business of medicine, you can't really do the practice of medicine very well. So you have to, unfortunately, get resources to do that. I have an absolutely great office administrator who I can now I'm comfortable with. I can turn a lot of this stuff over to and I don't have to look over her shoulder. As a solo doc, and uh, Laura, when you talk to her, will probably attest to this because she's a solo doc. Uh, you know, she is the business person. She is the administrator. She is the physician. She's all things. Uh, I have the, the capability of doing it uh, indifferent. But if, back to the question about how do you know smaller groups decide to do that, it, it sometimes it's a it's a leap. And what we did in our organization when um, he wanted to do medical weight loss to say we're we're willing to support you. Um, and there's always a return on the investment, which means if he does that, if it's an entire cash business for him, we share in some of that profit because we, on the front side, guarantee that he wouldn't lose money. You know, we had some skin in the game, as, as they say. Uh, and so on the back side, if it's successful, we'll get something out of it. Um, and that's, I think, what it takes is you have to take a leap of faith and you have to move in a direction, and sometimes that direction is wrong. Uh, and you lose a little bit, um, but it, you, you have to, you know, we all love family medicine. We all love what we do, and, and so if you're trying to do something just because it's financially the right, you think it's financially the right thing to do, it probably won't be successful. Uh, if it doesn't feel right, if it's not in your gut and in your heart what you want to do, uh, it doesn't matter really to me how much money it makes. It's not the right decision. And I think we see that on so many of our specialists who are making really good money but aren't really happy with what they do. Um, family doctor are really happy in what we do and taking care of patients and seeing that. What we're unhappy in is the business of medicine. You know, if you talk to people across the country like uh, most of us do, uh, that's what's unhappy is the change that occurs from a business. So we, I want them to look at it in a different light and a different perspective so that, you know, the business is just one of those things you learn and you have to do in order to make the rest of your 90% of your job happier. Um, I guess on the line here uh, is uh, Dr. Conrad Flick, and uh, we're talking about his essay uh, from the AAFP uh, Leader Voices blog entitled, Working with Others Key to Successfully Transforming Our Practices. That is from uh, Wednesday, May 16, 2012. You can go to aafp.org. Uh, um, and uh, I guess as we're, as we're starting to close up the show here, I, I, I did want to cover the last part of your essay where you're, you know, very, you know, encouraging the family docs, encouraging to academy members as far as, you know, you don't have to do this alone. You know, any kind of transformation, uh, change of your practice, you know, especially when it comes to PCMH, patient-centered medical home. Um, and there's a lot of resources out there, um, specifically, you know, transfermed.com, um, and talk a little bit about, um, you know, when, when, when Academy members ask you, you know, Conrad, you know, where can I go on the Internet or where can I go in the Academy to try to get some more information about PCMH, get some more information about how to transform our practices? Yeah, and I, I'm happy to answer that. I think, you know, one of the things I've tried to do with this is, is uh, walk the walk, so to speak. Mike, uh, we 
when this first started coming out and people were talking about patients in a medical home, uh, I came back and we agreed we were going to do that. So we set the task and we got our level three patients in a medical home uh, three years ago. Uh, we're in the process of, of, you know, having to go through the next step. When meaningful use came about, uh, we decided we needed to do that as well. I mean, we understand the frustration. We understand a lot of it seems really uh, silly and 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 in some aspects seems to detract from patient care, but it's the beginning and not the end. It's the process that you are willing to make the needed changes in order to think about how we take care of a larger population and we do it better. So that's number one. When I talk about then how you do that and the resources available, I, I think there are sometimes local resources in that uh, maybe a practice has done this and you have a colleague who knows how it's done. Um, and we have an, I, my group has, I'm part of an independent practice association, which now has about 150 docs in it. And our IPA, after we did it, and two other big practices did it, we put together some structure through our IPA to help any other practice within the IPA reach patients in a medical home. Um, there are resources, most of the state academies now, um, or at least a good number of them, can at least point you in the right direction and give you some resources. And certainly places like TransferMed and those things um, can help. The cost is for TransferMed and the time for some of it is a little bit more daunting, but there are uh, there's a thing called the Delta Exchange, which is a, a um, available to all practices, which is part of TransferMed originally that the only those people who paid for transfer, transfer med could get on, but otherwise has uh, it's really an interactive uh, website that you can go to, ask questions, and people will get information, and there are articles and other things you can do. So Delta Exchange is one of them. Uh, the Academy certainly has some resources available as well that can help people with practice transformation, ask questions, get you people who can help along the line. So, you know, even sometimes state medical societies, depending on where you are, I think even if you're even if you're unsure, um, most medical communities, you know, the other docs in town, the other things. Sometimes getting together and having conversations about how we can do it, you know, just having somebody to share some comments with, have discussions with, to talk about best practice, even if it's somewhere outside. So it does take a little extra time outside of your day. But in our, in some states, it's, it's paying off. In our state, it does. Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina recognizes um, with higher payment for being a level two or level three patient-centered medical home. So when we attain that level, um, our reimbursement from Blue Cross Blue Shield went up. And when you're talking about a practice as big as mine, and we did just shy of 20,000 office visits last year, um, that's a pretty good amount uh, when Blue Cross makes up a good half of your patient population. So, you know, those kind of things, it, it, if you make a commitment to do it, most of the time it's going to pay off. And we know that there are areas out there where, unfortunately, insurance companies are, are paying way below Medicare rates um, and uh, that the market is, is difficult uh, to work through and work in, and I think the Academy is going to do our best over the years to help do that by meeting with insurers and others. But uh, those resources, as I said, may be sitting down with your partner and making a plan uh, and just investing in some resources by your someone in the office, or it might be the office next door that you meet with. It may be the State Academy or Medical Society. It may be on a national level. But there are resources, but like many other things, you've got to take the first step, and you, you've got to move out and do it uh, and uh, to a level that's comfortable for you. Uh, and as I said earlier, I think it's a matter, of, to me, that's the business of medicine that goes along with the practice of medicine, and both of them we have to stay educated in order to provide the best services possible. Yeah, I mean it's uh, uh, it's a, it's a daunting task, and uh, there's a lot of fear out there, and uh, you know um, you know a lot of docs are you know they don't like change, um, and I know in my own practice that uh, you know it's it's tough to really try to to make the case uh, to, for change um, because there's a lot of people on the other side and say this is the results that you know that we have and we're seeing that it's good, and but you know that transition area. Uh, can be very difficult, and uh, I, it's 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 um, uh, it's hard to get over that barrier uh, to tell docs. You know, um, 
this is the right thing to do and and you know it's it's going to be tough it's going to be hard it's going to be changed but at the end of it i mean you know it is going to be you know good financially but i mean it's it's going to be you know a lot better patient care a lot better patient satisfaction provider satisfaction um at the at the end of the journey well that's certainly the hope and that's why i couch it in we all realize we have to stay up on medical knowledge that we have to change our perception. I mean, how many years ago was it? wasn't that long ago we thought that giving estrogen to all postmenopausal women was the right thing to do, um, right. and that's not right. Um, and now we're talking about PSAs and we're talking about how often you have to do pap smears. Change is hard, but we do that and we incorporate it because that's the evidence. Well, the evidence also in business is uh, you either try to stay ahead or you get behind, uh, and so you can't. A, a business model has to adapt to the environment, and so many of our our members' practices over the years have not adapted to the changing medical environment, uh, and we've got to. And so that's how I couch that. You've got to change the knowledge base of medicine. You've got to change the knowledge base of the business of medicine in order to really supply the services that are needed and, and to reap the rewards of what's coming up. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Conrad Flick, uh, family physician and uh, member of the AAFP Board of Directors uh, from Family Medical Associates of Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, and just in our, our closing moments, um, you know, uh, I do talk, talk a little bit about social media. I mean, this is social media. This is a podcast. That's how we got together. Um, but, uh, of course, Conrad, we, we've gone, gone back a number of years to a number of meetings, uh, none of which I can share on the air, but uh, we, we had a lot of uh, good times uh, uh, with the Academy. Uh, but let me, let me ask you about, uh, you know, social media, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, I, I really uh, I'm very impressed. Uh, pleasantly surprised with uh, not only the board but the academy have they have embraced um, social media. Um, and tell me a little bit about you know the social media kind of kind of from your point of view. Uh, you know as you saw kind of this thing unfold probably in the past you know kind of year or so. Well, I think it's probably been more than that. I, I think that uh, I knew very little about it. You know, I had heard about Twitter and I yeah I had a Facebook page I set up when my daughter set hers up long ago. And I used my Facebook mostly uh, for a little social stuff but not for things related to the academy. But we had some very good people uh, who pushed us early on. I mean, we knew people like you were out there uh, and leading the way, but we didn't quite understand it very well when uh, – Glenn Stream was elected. Glenn was very much a social media uh, person, and so that has been something he's been very passionate about. Again, you need somebody who's passionate. You need somebody who's going to carry it forward, and I think he has. Then we had Kevin Bernstein uh, as the uh, student member of the board, and uh, just a very dynamic uh, young man and just huge potential uh, who dragged many of us kicking and screaming uh, in but did it in (laughs) in such a way that it, it didn't seem that bad. And I think that, you know, I, to me, I, I think this started as a social phenomenon, hence the name, but it's so much more than, than you know, I think it's it's somewhat of a disservice to even call it social media now uh, because it, it spans, I mean, look at what we're doing now. It spans business. It spans profession. It spans social. It It is in everything and every aspect of what we do. And so um, it's humble beginnings. Uh, we don't really know what the potential is. We talked a little bit about it and at that point in time of, of just understanding it. And so many of us at that time kind of dabbled in and started paying attention. We we have our, uh, you know, we do our tweets here and there, and uh, uh, we got our uh, names, and we're good with that. And uh, people like Reed, who's on the show last uh, uh, last week, and last time. has mm-hmm. done a great and uh, he's probably he's the, the leader of the board at this point in time of, of making sure that we're all doing what we should do. Um, I, I use it to keep up. I use it to let people know uh, important things when I'm going places and seeing things and doing stuff. Uh, I try not to do too much of it because uh, I don't know, Mike, how you do as much as you do. I Like you, I see patients every day, and sometimes I don't have time to, to get a bite to eat or uh, talk to my children, and uh, you have time to do this and, and uh, blog and um, do your Twitter all day long. So I, my hat's off to you. Um, but I think that it has, uh, for us, I think we need to get the 
academy continue moving forward? Because uh, what I look at is when I early the academy, I got started as a a new physician on the old committee on special constituents, and well, I remember sitting at a meeting then and the important that old physicians saying, well, we used to be new physicians, so we understand what you guys are going through. And I'm sitting at a, at a meeting listening to somebody who's only been in practice three years and I've been in practice seven years and saying to myself, I don't have a clue what that guy was in three years, it was he's most concerned about because it's so much different than it was four years ago when I was there. Well, yeah. we're, we're in the same boat now and so for for the for the academy as an organization, we've got to embrace this and we've got to understand as best we can uh, because even though it's new to us, it's what our residents and what our students, this is what they've grown up with. This is what they know and this is what they do. And we have to utilize it so that it serves our membership best so we can get the word out best. Uh, and, you know, that's the best thing to do, as we've said all along. Why do we do what we do? Because it's the right thing to do. And I think this is, you know, it has good, it has bad. I mean, we've all seen that with Facebook, certainly, and, and what opportunities are, are there and what pitfalls are there. And we have to be cognizant of that as we move forward. But there's such opportunity for us to get our word out. I remember I was actually sitting at a foundation meeting for the Academy of AFP Foundation, and someone asked about family medicine, FM revolution, and wanted to know how to measure success um, for a hashtag. And I go, well, I don't know that, but let me pull up a few things and show you. Here's a picture of it uh, in the background of, uh, you know, um, the Today Show. And here's, you know, that people outside of family medicine are using the hashtag. To me, that's great success. You know, uh, you know, I'm a, I mean, advocacy is what we do biggest on the academy, and, and one of the things I've always said is true advocacy is when other people carry your message for you. You don't have to do it. Well, that's what things like Family Medicine, FM Revolution are doing. Uh, people are picking up the messages and are then retweeting that and taking that on Facebook and pushing that message out to other people who would never hear about it or understand it. That's great advocacy. That's, you know, it's advertisement you don't have to pay for. Um, and uh, I remember you telling me, and I, I think it's okay to share this, is that, is that uh, you know, sometimes you know, people would pitch ideas or pitch projects or pitch organizations, and, and you'd be like, well, there's no uh, Twitter account. There's no Facebook page. Uh, why is that? And <laughs> some people are like, well, maybe it's not needed. And you're like, well, this is the future. I mean, it's uh, that, that's something that is definitely required for any kind of project moving forward. You know, what's the social media angle? What's the, you know, what's the Twitter hashtag? What's the Twitter account? What's the uh, Facebook page? Uh, definitely, you know, kind of part of, you know, part of uh, putting together any type of, uh, you know, advocacy or other type of project these days, wouldn't you think? Oh, I agree. I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, I remember when the, the listservs first came up through the Academy website, you know, I understand the emails, I don't really understand listservs, and then blogs came out, and, you know, we're, we've been uh, you know, a step or two behind where we really need to be, and I think we've got to we have to draw from the expertise of people like you, the King, and people like Kevin Bernstein and, and others up and coming to make sure we stay with this um, and to, to make sure that we meet the needs of our future population of members. And it's not just because of, of them. It's because of everybody else. It's because of our communities. It's because of the people we want to influence in D.C. It's because of the people we want to – who's – uh, philosophy on how to pay for care and insurance. I mean, it's advocacy on every level, and this is one in a in a large toolbox that we're going to use. But it's a growing tool. Uh, it's a more important tool than it ever was before. Uh, we just, I think we don't. We're becoming to under, We're getting ready to understand. We're coming to understand the importance of it. Um, but. We certainly don't get it as much as some other people where it's second nature to you, it's second nature to others. So the rest of us are trying to learn. Uh, but as I said, I think it's uh, the idea that it's social. It is social. It can be used, but it is so much more now, uh, and we have to we have to gather that and take it forward. Uh, Conrad Flick, uh, thank you so much uh, for the time. I'm going to ask you for, for any kind of closing thoughts that you have, but I do want to thank you for, 
for for coming on the show. And uh, you know, even though he doesn't you know, he doesn't tweet that much, you know, give him a follow on Twitter, C L Flick M D um, on Twitter. That's uh, Conrad's uh, Twitter uh, account there. Um, but uh, before I let you go, uh, do you have any kind of closing thoughts for us uh, tonight where, when it comes to either your know, practice transformation or advocacy or anything? Academy related uh, to to close up the show here tonight, Conrad. Well, we, we said I think whatever you do in life and in your practice, one is it has to be for the right reason, and two, you need to be passionate about it, or somebody needs to be passionate about it. I think that is uh, the most important. I think that shows in what you do, Mike. It shows in what a lot of people do and why you're doing. Uh, what you do for so many people. And number two is is really advocacy. Is spread the word of family medicine uh, in any way you can to anybody who will listen. We know how important it is. Our, our patients know how important it is, our communities. But sometimes the thought leaders and the decision makers out there don't get that. And so anywhere we can spread that news, anywhere we can have an ear, uh, we need it. And so people like you are vitally important to the future of family medicine, uh, as are all your 9,000-plus uh, listeners. So um, I, I really appreciate seeing you, Mike, and, and happy to do it any time. And I, this was a great thought. And you and I met uh, in Kansas City, and, and then you sent me an email about whether or not I thought this was a good thing, and uh, I think it's beyond a good thing. So uh, kudos to you, and, and keep up the good work for us. Thank you. Thank you. Are, are, you're going out to the committee cluster uh, this this weekend, or? Well, unfortunately, we'll not be at the clinic, committee cluster this weekend, summer cluster, because my 18 uh, year old grad school uh, day after tomorrow. So I'm going to have to stay home uh, and not have to. I want to stay home and uh, see my son graduate from high school. Uh, so that's an important milestone that I don't want to miss because I'm passionate about that, and it, care- it means a lot to me. But I do will miss the friends and then the cluster, but I will uh, be at National Conference in July and hope to see you there. Great, great. Well, yeah, well, Conrad, just uh, just just pay attention on there uh, on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, you, you'll feel like you're at the committee cluster this weekend. But uh, uh, but thank you so much for the time. I, yeah, I, I will see you at the resident senior meeting uh, next month. And uh, this is a, I can't believe an hour has gone by so quickly. But uh, thank you again for the time. This has been a lot of fun tonight. Thanks, Mike. Look forward to seeing you again. All right. Uh, have a good night. <clears throat> All right, kids. So uh, that was uh, Conrad Flick. Uh, I've known him for a long time, and he's uh, um, one of my uh, many uh, academy mentors uh, through the years. Has given me a lot of advice and has uh, kept me out of trouble. Uh, sometimes has gotten me into trouble. Other times, no, just kidding. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, this is uh, this is another great conversation here this evening. I want to thank everybody for who listened live, and also people who downloaded the podcast and are listening to it, especially those people who are listening to it during the committee cluster uh, meetings uh, this weekend in Kansas City. Shout out to all of you. Um, but our next show will be on Tuesday, June 12, next week. It will be show number 263. Uh, Dr. Laura Noble will be uh, joining us uh, to uh, talk about her essay, talking about solo practice. So uh, that'll be a great show there. It'll be uh, Tuesday, June 12, 2012 at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, will be uh, available afterward, um, download on the podcast. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. Thanks, everybody, who listened last week to uh, Dr. Blackwelder's uh, conversation. Uh, thanks for getting us on the front page there of the health category of the uh, Block Talk Radio popularity uh, page there for our category. So thank you so much for that. Again, I want to uh, invite you to check out my digital library of stuff at uh, familymedicinerocks.com. Um, and also like our uh, the Facebook page for this show. Uh, thank you so much uh, for all those who uh, listen and uh, all those who like the Facebook page and follow me on Twitter. So that's all I have for you this evening, uh, and uh, that's it. So uh, um, I will uh, close things up here, and uh, we will uh, follow. I will be following the committee cluster this weekend, there, kids. So everybody listening who's going out to Kansas City this weekend. Keep us updated what's going on. It's going to be a good time out there. So uh, my name is Mike Savella, uh, family physician and social media enthusiast. I will be closing out the song uh, with a song from our good friends from the Revolve Band, uh, Ray Sapatelli and the boys there. You can check them out at revolveband.com. Uh, and uh, we will say uh, good night and uh, have a good weekend, everybody. See ya. And he lays in the barbershop.